Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors Studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Play-by-play call of the day. Wisconsin drives to the one-yard line. Penn State comes up with a four-and-out with Jaquan Brisker capping it. The sophomore quarterback drops back, floats it in the end zone, and it's intercepted. Brisker! Wow! Brisker! Look again! Penn State! Defense! Defense! Gus Johnson appears to be impressed by Penn State's defense. That's just my initial feel listening to it. All right. (laughs) Gus actually popped in the poop briefly on Saturday. All right. With that now, with the NFL season coming up, we turn to, without question, one of the best in the business, my highest respect to the great Merrill Reese. Sir, welcome back. It is great to have you with us. Thank you, Steve. I am still getting over that Penn State win. I watched every <laughs> single second of it. <laughs> every and I had a four and I had a four thirty tea time, and I was fifteen minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those games. Have you had these games where, when it's over, you felt like you played? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, uh, I've had a few of those. They they yeah. just drain you absolutely. Uh, didn't have any of them last year. Last right. year I didn't have any of them. But the yeah. the, the one on the, in in two thousand eighteen that was that was like that. At the end of that Super Bowl, I didn't need a celebration party. I needed a I needed a hot shower and a warm bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's somebody said. What did you do on the way home on the plane? I said I slept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Oh my goodness, Merrill. Uh, you know what the funny thing about that yeah, is, and, and you tell me if it's the same for for you guys coming back. People always say to me after a great win, "Boy, that plane ride home must have been fun," or after a loss, "Boy, that had to be a long play ride home." And I say, you know something? And this is my experience. There's no difference. If the if the Eagles win, it could be a, a dramatic game, whatever. Uh, in the locker room, they celebrate, but by the time they get to the plane, they get on and they are physically and emotionally drained. And it's difficult to see the difference between a loss and a win on the flight itself. Now, the next day, they wake up and they're thrilled, and so are we after a big win and, and somewhat depressed and subdued after a loss. But on the plane, it's just everything is just drained out of you, and you just sit back and you can't move. I, I, the exact same experience, and you and when people say that to you, and you say no, they was pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. They, they act like they're in shock, but you yeah. have lived it. And what yep. happens is they want two things when they're on the plane: food, right, and uh-huh. rest. And rest, right. they want to be off their feet, and they're tired. So yeah, that's that's, that's true. 
I mean, in the old days, they wanted two things when they got on the plane, food and beer. But that yes. doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because Jack, Jack Ham mentioned that to me when we were getting on the planes in the old days. He said, they'd have beer waiting for us. I said, no. Well, I, said, I said, welcome to the new age. Well, when we went up the steps to the plane, each person was given a container with two beers in it. And then I think it was Mike Ditka or somebody, who, some coach who got picked up for drunk and driving on the way home, and the NFL cut it out. It was that Ditka. Was that. It was Ditka, exactly. It was, uh huh. Amazing. When when a training camp starts, you probably get asked the same question. I'll be asked, "What do you think is a successful training camp?" And, you know, you got to put in the usual stuff and so forth. I said, "Do they come out of it with the same personnel that they started with, or as close to it as possible?" That, to me, dictates whether it's a successful camp or not. In other words, do you have most of your people? Uh, I don't know if you have the same standard, but did the Eagles come out of this camp essentially with the same people they started with? Yeah, they did, but for a different reason. They didn't hit. They, yeah. they, there was no tackling. Uh, they, they played Jalen Hurts at 10 snaps in one preseason game and hasn't played for over a month. I mean, I know they have the, the combined rules for the Patriots and the Jets, but again, no tackling. And the, the regulars, the starters, saw so little pregame, preseason game action that everybody is healthy. Now, the question is, are they sharp? Are they ready? I, if they are, then my antiquated traditional thinking goes out the window. Because I went into this summer, Steve, thinking that what I would like to see, and, and nobody asked me, but what I would like to see is for Jalen Hurts to have five quarters. I wanted to see him have a half in the first game, a half in the second game, and a quarter in the third game. Instead, he had ten plays. Uh, he was, I think, four for seven throwing the ball. He threw seven passes, and that was it in terms of the games. And they talk about the, the drills, the combined drills, and they're like games. No, they're not. Only games are like games. And I'm not criticizing Nick Sirianni because I think he's a bright, energetic coach, and I, I think the world of him. But it's it's just different. So maybe maybe I'm going to have to completely revise my thinking if this team comes out of the gate and they play sharp, hard-hitting football. But right now, I have to tell you, this has been a training camp unlike any other. It's been like the practices have all been one and a half hours, and that's it. I mean, I remember when Dick Vermeil had them practicing three hours a day, twice a day with pads. Now, I, it, things aren't, aren't the same. I know that Dick Vermeil brought 120 guys to camp, and sometimes it looked like the Baton Death March. But this this is a different NFL. I I don't know if things are the same up at uh, up at State College or the college practices the same, but the NFL has changed dramatically. Well, there's less hitting, obviously, in, in practice now. In college, the NCAA has mandated that less hitting. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, Don Shula, who has more wins than anybody, when he left the Colts and took the Miami Dolphins job, the Dolphins had four-a-days. Oh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's how much it's changed. I mean, that's that's the change in mentality, and that's why I always tell people, I don't know if you feel the same way, Merrill, 
But I said, I usually start to see some really good, solid tackling, usually at the beginning of the third game of a college season, that the first couple of games you're trying. Now, Penn State tackled well Saturday, all right? So I give them a lot oh, yeah. of credit for that. They did tackle well. But usually it's not until, like, the third game where I start to see, because I think that's where the tackling takes place. Well, I, I've always felt, not always, but I've felt in recent years that September – is to the NFL what the preseason used to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally can different. You, can you get a gauge? I mean, they're practicing and they're practicing and practicing it. Can you get a gauge about the kind of handle the players have on Nick Sirianni's offense? No. You know why? Because I haven't seen Nick Sirianni's offense, and I haven't right. seen Jonathan Gannon's defense. All yeah. I have seen is vanilla, vanilla, vanilla. Base offense, base defense. Uh, I haven't seen one trick play. I haven't seen one gadget play. I haven't seen one blitz. And now I've seen blitzes in practice drills, obviously, but there was no blitzing in any in the, in the three preseason games. There wasn't one jet sweep. There wasn't, you know, there was nothing. It was totally different. It was just, it was just uh, as basic and bland as you could possibly be. So. I'm I'm not prepared to tell you whether Nick Sirianni is going to be a run first coach or a set up the run with the pass or if Jonathan Gannon is going to be bring the kitchen sink or play it more conservatively the way Jim Schwartz did. I don't know. I don't right. know. And that's a fair answer. Uh, in terms of um, the obviously Rager came in last year, but Devontae Smith ended up being the first round pick this year. How excited are you to see that kind of skill set in the Eagles' offense? Oh, you know what? I uh, I used to watch him at Alabama, and I used to daydream and say, oh, if only the Eagles, <laughs> if only the Eagles could draft Devontae Smith, he could turn this franchise around. And then I'd say to myself, nah, forget about it. They'll probably take some firemen who play center. You know, <laughs> which I did one year, by the way, a guy named yes. Danny Watkins. But yep. but the truth of the matter is, you, you you think about things like that, but don't really think he's going to end up on the team that you broadcast. And yeah. um, and and he did, and he is amazing. He is. I I cannot wait to see what he what he looks like when he actually has a full game to play in Atlanta. I think he's going to be an instant star. And then, of course, there's the Miles Sanders factor as well. And I guess what Miles was a little up and down catching the ball in the preseason. But you feel like the Eagles have a chance to get balance on offense just based on personnel. I do. Um, about Miles, I mean, he got criticized for his, his uh, catching ability last year. That was mostly because Carson Wentz was hitting him in the either either over his shoulder pads or in his ankles. I mean, yeah. Miles Sanders is a good receiver, and he showed that in his first yeah. year. Miles Sanders is a great kid, and he is a wonderful running back. The only negative uh, would be that he hasn't been totally durable so far. He has gotten nicked and missed time. But Miles Sanders is a tremendous running back and a, a real character young man. I, I think he's great. Uh, it goes to a 17-game season this year. Uh, I don't know how much of an opportunity you've had to talk to the players. If you, and When you have, has that been brought up about the extra game they have to play in the regular season? Steve, how about this? 
I have not met anybody who's drafted after 2019. Uh, I never met anybody from last year's team, and I've never met anybody from this year's team, other than the other than the group press conference that they have right. after a tent when they send the guys up. I haven't met I haven't met Jalen Hurts ever. Uh, wow! Because it's because the COVID restrictions are so great. There's no open locker room. You are not allowed to walk over to a player when he's walking off the field. It's complete. There's of course you're never going to have locker rooms after a game or anything like that. You just I don't know one guy. I I mean personally. So it's it's tough yeah. to get a handle. I mean I watch them at practice and they seem enthusiastic. I mean there was never a day at practice where I thought they were dragging. Um, they, they were always moving quickly, and they looked enthusiastic. And and Nick was the kind of coach he reminded me, from a demeanor standpoint, of of a thirty nine year old Dick Vermeil who came here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Same kind of approach, where he's all over the field talking to this guy, talking to that guy. You could just you just feel the sparks coming out. But I, I honestly have not met a player in two years, and I know you travel with the Nittany Lions. Uh, Mike Quick and I will not be traveling, at least going into the year, unless something changes uh, later in the year. I don't know. But uh, we're back to doing the road games virtually, except for the Giants and Jets games at the Meadowlands where we can drive. Wow. Boy. Uh, How have you found that, uh, calling a game off a monitor? How have you found that to be? It's different. It's different. Um, last year, we, we had something called the All-22, which I'm not sure we're getting this year because of, uh, I don't know what kind of regulations. So we had a we had six different screens. We had the screen for the game being the actual telecast in real time. We had that screen also in the delay that the viewers were getting. We also had the All-22, which was a panoramic view of the field. We also had a screen for statistics, a screen for drop-ins. I mean, my my head was bobbing and weaving all over the room, <laughs> but it, it didn't matter. And, and we also had we also had crowd noise piped in. So it so I think a lot of people told me that they couldn't they they couldn't tell the difference. They didn't know I if agree. I was there or I wasn't there. Uh, I mean, they they said it sounded like a normal Eagles broadcast. So I take that as a compliment. And I hope we can do it again. But I um, uh, once you get the knack of it. It's it's okay now. It, in some cases, it's better. I mean, for example, um, when we go to Washington to FedEx Field, we have the worst oh. view oh. anybody could ever have. We're sitting in the oh. lower corner of the end zone. There's an overhang. I really can't see the scoreboard. And when they pass the fifty going from my left to my right, I'm not sure if they pick up six yards or sixteen. So when we go to Dallas. Uh, to to the stadium, my my son calls a monument to excess. Uh, when we go to to the to Jerry's world, uh, most of the time when they go down towards the twenty, I'm watching the the game on that big screen anyhow. So it's yeah. uh, you know it, you you get used to it. You do what you have to do, but it's it's still football, and I still love every single second of it. And yes, it does. Uh, I I could not tell last year at all whether you were. The link or on location. So yeah, I mm-hmm. felt the same way as other people. And as for Merrill's ability to describe the broadcast booth, as somebody who's done a game at FedEx and as somebody who's done a <laughs> Cotton Bowl at at Jerry World, he is spot on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't that unbelievable? 
Oh. I mean, I just I just sit there and go, you got to be kidding me. I mean, especially FedEx. Not only at yeah. least at least Dow, at least in Arlington, you're up. In FedEx, you're low. Yeah. <laughs> what the yeah. heck's the I thought process I, there? I mean, really low. I mean, yeah. I remember the old RFK Stadium when I started doing the Eagles, the the Washington team. Incidentally. What kind of team in two years can't even figure out a nickname? Uh, yeah. Isn't that unbelievable? They, they don't uh, even know who they are. But anyhow, no. <laughs> uh, that old RFK Stadium, we used to look down at ants. I mean, but I could see yeah. the ants, and I could figure them out. I mean, I could I could remember that. I could see those guys, and I could see formations. But at, And I'd use the binoculars a lot, of course. And, and also at the original Texas Stadium. We were well. We originally we were great at that middle level, but then of course they moved that into <laughs> suites, and then when they put us up on the roof again, and we were we were practically doing it out of a helicopter. But <laughs> but still, we could see the whole field and yeah. watch. Oh, there's a worse one. Oh my gosh, I never thought there was a worse one, and I experienced a worse one two years ago, and that was Miami. Um, the uh, place has had fourteen names. And I yeah. did it in the booth next to Jimmy Cephalo, who said, and he does a play-by-play for the Dolphins, and he said yeah. he hasn't seen a game actually since he's been doing them there. Um, you have to almost work exclusively out of the monitor, off of the monitor, because you're in a corner of that end zone, and half of the field is blocked from you. So yeah. um, it's, it's a real challenge, I'll tell you that. Yep, did an Orange Bowl in that stadium. No, no, from what you speak. Uh, oh, no, isn't it the worst? The worst. Yeah. Now, uh, conversely, I love uh, the the link is wonderful. MetLife, uh, yes, the, the Giant Stadium is wonderful with yeah. and and with the scoreboards on the level of the field. You don't even have to look mm-hmm. up. It's it's an amazingly great stadium, and there are wonderful stadiums. But then. Uh, Pittsburgh, you're in the end zone. Arizona, yep. you're in the end zone. And plus, yep. it could be a 70 degree day, and they they change they 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 put the roof up, and it becomes a gray dank gymnasium in the middle of <laughs> Glendale, Arizona. Yes. Um, so that's that's no bargain. But uh, I haven't been to Las Vegas yet, and I thought no. I would be this year, <laughs> but but apparently I'll be watching Las Vegas from no. another screen. So we'll see. Oh but listen, my goodness! It's, it's it's still the greatest job in the world, except for yep. yours. So I wouldn't trade yeah. it for anything, believe yeah. me. Yeah, did a Fiesta Bowl. It was a 75-degree day, not a cloud in the sky, roof was closed. I'm looking at Jack and I, and he's like, what the heck? Open the yeah. roof. <laughs> they, they've turned it into arena football. I, yeah. I don't understand it. You know, I, I can understand if you have the capability of opening and shutting a roof, that if it's a blizzard, that you can yeah. shut it, or if it's if it's 110 degrees yep. and it's and it's tough for the players to breathe, but they shut it just to make their crowds louder. And see, I I believe that stuff should be regulated by the NFL. I don't think that should be a home team call. I think the NFL should give them guidelines and they should have to adhere to them. And by the way, if I if I can throw something else in um, that I'm starting to think about, I was watching the game last night, the Louisville Ole Miss mess but mm-hmm. i i was watching like three or four guys ejected for for uh targeting and and one of your kids got ejected for targeting the other day when they hit the quarterback along the sideline you know yep. i i can understand and, and believe me i am one who believes in safety and i hate dirty play but i think there should be 
some kind of discretion taken when that happens because there are times when the helmets hit but it's really not targeting it's it's incidental contact helmet to helmet and i believe there should be a personal foul and, and, and unnecessary roughness and i believe there should be a 15 yard penalty but i don't think every one of those things is is player rejection worthy no because i there are times as you know and you see it all the time in the nfl where the receiver catches, gets into that fetal position and lowers down, or the running back yeah. or the quarterback lowers down, and it's the person with the ball that lowers themselves into your helmet. Sure, it happens. And, it happens. Yeah. And in the NFL, there is no ejection for that. But right. in college football, they have that targeting, and the kid who, who did whatever he had to do to stop the play gets sent to the sideline, and he's out of the game and sometimes has to miss the first half of the next game. And yeah. and I, I just think they ought to look at that again. And I love... I love college football. I mean, if I, I'll watch every Penn State game, and I'll listen to you whenever I possibly can. I love your broadcast. Well, I love your broadcast. Think the absolute world of you. I cannot wait to hear you on Sunday. Merrill, thank you so much for your time, and uh, everyone appreciates the uh, greatness that you bring to the broadcast, the passion, the love, and the description. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Always look forward to speaking with you again, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again around midseason and and see where we're going. (laughs) Absolutely, Merrill. Appreciate you very much, my friend. Take care. Merrill Reese. All right. Neil Kulong, next half hour. Um, The the suit's favorite broadcast locations will be on the after show uh, that will air at 3 (laughs) a.m. Don't we know those already? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't know. Would that be with the suit? Yes. Oh no, I don't even pay attention. Do you? I mean, I do a lot of like nodding. Like, okay. Mer- Mer- I mean, I know already, that, so it is what it is. I mean, Merrill talks. It's like, well, you know, part of it is the parallel. If it's college, the pro, the parallel universe. Uh, because it may be college, but I've done a game in the, in, in Jerry World. I've done a game at the Fiesta Bowl. You know, met life. I didn't want to bring up the pinstripe bowl at Yankee Stadium where I did it in the Yankee broadcast booth, which is behind home plate, and home plate's behind the goalpost. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I've heard that's not ideal. <laughs> that's not the greatest. Yeah. You know, you know, the, you know where the ESPN guys are? They're at the 50. Of course. But they, um, but I guess they have to they have to pay the Yankees for the booth, I believe, because it's a luxury suite. That I didn't know. Yes, I believe. Um, Now, there was nobody else in any of the other suites, but that's (laughs) that's beside the point. All right, back uh, with Neil in a moment. Thanks to to everybody out there. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street and Summer. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Okay, what's his least favorite? The suit? That would be uh, Thompson Street Stadium, home of Jersey Shore. Yeah, but does he just doesn't like the people there? <laughs> it has nothing to do with location. He's just he's he's anti Jersey Shore for some reason. He just you know he doesn't like the football program. He doesn't like the people. He's very surly, grumpy. Meanwhile, Dave walks in home and away. Hey, chief. I mean, <laughs> you know, he walks in. Uh, there's that guy with the chief again. Yep. <laughs> 
<laughs> Mr. Grumpy. All right, back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WK. Okay. S U I T. That spells suit. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Wednesday footballs on News Radio 1070 WKOK, WKOK.com, and the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. Touchdown, Penn State! The Nittany Lions take the lead! Wednesday football is sponsored by Turbotville National Bank, Sunbury Motor Company, Carpet Man, Glick Incorporated, Lawton Insurance Agency, Roar Bus, Gracie's Flowers, Mid Penn Energy, Landis Originals. Join Jack Ham and me for Penn State football this Saturday. The Nittany Lions take on Ball State. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show uh, brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors Studio, Sunbury Motors 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15. And Hummel's Wharf and online at uh, sunburymotors.com. Uh, later in the week, we'll talk about the passing of Tunch Ilkin with uh, Bill Hillgrove. Uh, but I want to take something that is very close to home. We lost on uh, Friday Bob Buhner. Uh, I love Bob Buhner. First met Bob, I don't know, 10 years ago. There was a it was a Boy Scout dinner in Danville. They asked me to speak at, and it turned out that in the seating area, the person sitting right next to me was Bob Buner. And from that night on, we became the best of friends. And I could call Bob anytime about anything. If you know there was something that came up on the show that dealt with something legal, we talked about that. But all the times Bob came in, and we just did shows together. The only reason that Bob stopped doing shows uh, was that we finally had to shut the doors of the radio station because of the pandemic. And did so, I don't know, it was about maybe six weeks in, so it was like mid-April, late April, a year ago. And that's the only reason why we stopped having, uh, why Bob stopped being on. Intelligent, fun, funny, Love New Zealand, love football, uh, and love sports, passionate about the law, knowledgeable, great family man. I mean, one night I did a game, did a game at Bucknell. 
And Dick Girardi and I had dinner with Bob and his beautiful family in uh, Lewisburg. In fact, I believe the suit was there, too, that night. Um, And I cannot say enough wonderful words about a man that I just thought the absolute world of in Bob Buehner. God rest his soul. He was a great gift in my life. All right. Now, Bob would say enough of that. Steve, come on, Steve. Get to the Neil Kulong interview. All right. So let's go to the great one, Neil Kulong, because we're going to talk about T.J. Watt. Neil, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, it's great to be here as always. And Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely regular season mode. We've got a, a game coming up and a contract dispute. This is like we never stopped. Let me ask, let's start with this. T.J. Watt has gone through this process. And sometimes when the process happens, the player gets labeled the bad guy. T.J. Watt has not been that at all by the media, the fans. Why? <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I, I Honestly, I don't know. I, it, I will say this. Let's go back to the most recent uh, set to between a player and, and the Steelers, Le'Veon Bell. I wasn't against Le'Veon Bell's desires to, to get to maximize the amount of money that he can make in his career. Okay, right. I, I said the same thing at the time as I'm saying now. It's his head, not mine. Whatever he can make, I think he should go out and try to make it. I'm that with does you. not mean it's the best move for the team. Right. That's right. a separate conversation. That's yeah. why they can't agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not opposed to Le'Veon Bell. At the same time, I always believe this, and I had somebody who knows way more about football than I could ever dream to know tell me about this a long time ago. You don't get better at playing football by not playing football. No, so exactly. For for Bell, in his situation, um, to play on the tag and then to not play at all, um, a, a suggestion that it didn't seem he really told anybody he was going to do, and I've heard that he really came to that decision at like the, the zero hour, uh, right before he was supposed to show up and sign. <laughs> he didn't do that. So whatever his decision was with that, I, I think it's obvious that it hasn't really worked out um, for the better for him. That doesn't mean that it would have been great if he signed in Pittsburgh. It's just that not playing football doesn't make you a better football player. I've always, Watt, I've always said that. Yep. And Watt, in his situation, really what matters right now is whether he's going to play this year. We don't have any indication that he's planning to not play. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to do that. Frankly, he would really not be smart to not play. Not only do you not get better by not playing football, but he is, one, not getting paid, and, two, find one uh, one-eighteenth one of or one, <laughs> I can't even say it, 18 uh, uh, parts of his contract each week, which uh, I, I'm not a mathematician off the top of my head, something like $6.5 million that he's going to have to pay the Steelers to not play for them this year. He really has no incentive to do that. Not to mention the fact, what, are they going to give you what you want next year? No, there's no way. Um, even if he does play the last uh, six games or seven or whatever it would be to gain the, the season of, you know, the, the accrued season that he would need to move past this year on his contract. All of that said, there's no incentive at all for T.J. Watt to not play this season. And the NFL has gone a, a great deal of distance to eliminate the holdout from their process. In all of that, where Watt is now, 
he's pretty much done everything that he can do. Mm-hmm. I think from uh, uh, the coach's perspective, the game perspective, all is more or less forgiven if he practices on Wednesday. Wednesday is the first real installation mm-hmm. day to yep. put everything in. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday are the days that you officially have to report to the league your participation so the gamblers know what's going on, so fans mm-hmm. know what's going on. That's the first real practice day for the season. Him not practicing up until that day, I get it. Okay, I, I don't know if it's the best idea, but I understand. Um, if he doesn't practice Wednesday, you've got a real problem on your hands now, not yes. just next year. That's right. So that's the last hurdle in all of this. They have roughly 36 hours to make a deal. I don't think they're going to. I, I think that ship has sailed, and, and they know it. Watt's going to take one more day off, take it easy, run on the sideline or whatever it is that he's doing. Um, yesterday, I should say. They're off today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he'll be back at practice. He, he will play uh, in week one just simply because – He's a fool if he doesn't, and I don't think that he is. So um, all of that said, it's a long way to go around a situation that boils down to the fact that the Steelers aren't willing to structure the contract the way that the top of the market uh, contracts currently are structured. And why that is, I don't know. We, we don't have enough time in this segment to, to go into the detail of it, but there are several different reasons for that. Um, it doesn't seem that that's good enough for T.J. Watt to come down off of uh, what he wants, but without us specifically knowing what he wants, without right. knowing who's offered what, it's tough to say where anybody is. I just think that uh, for the sake of the Steelers, Watt needs to be on the field. He's going to have some catching up to do, and um, I don't know the type of player he's going to be when he gets out there initially, but at the very least, I hope that he is out there. Yeah. Uh, well, this is, you know, Bell, of course, I've always said his biggest issue to me was with his own union. They're the ones that said it was okay to be franchised twice. And for some odd reason, when they did this contract, you can still be franchised twice. <laughs> so in other words, you sign your rookie deal, you could be committed to a team for six years uh, that a lot yep. of people don't realize. Uh, I'm really surprised they didn't do more to, uh, to uh, fight back against the franchise tag. And to your point exactly, they've barely even even batted an eyelash I know that's, from the union perspective. I mean, that's what baffles me. You know, would you want a 17th game? You can only be franchised once. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You know, like, hey. Make it work in your favor. And they, they, his own union didn't even do it. Now, this is not that. I mean, they still have two more franchise tags they could use on Watt if they wanted to. I mean, he still, he still can be committed to the Steelers for three years. He may sit out. But uh, it, what's also interesting too is help Waddy is not negotiated really in public. Of course, nobody has seen him either. <laughs> I, mean, see, I mean, we hear he's doing individual work. Has anybody actually physically seen him do it? So that goes back to what we were saying about the idea that they want to get training camp away from Latrobe too. You know that this is more uh, ability. It's a situation not specifically because of T.J. Watt, but it's another situation they get to avoid by closing off access and not having to address right. certain issues. And this is a big one. And yeah, we don't really know what's going on. Everything that I'm speaking as far as the numbers go are what his agent is likely to go. Uh, pursue simply because this is what the market will bear. He's a better player than Joey Bosa, the last player to get the top contract at the position that he's at. 
and Bosa got 135 million overall, 102 million fully guaranteed in the first three years. Right. T.J. Watt is a better player than Joey Bosa, so yes. T.J. Watt yeah. probably is going to be asking for 150 to 160 million overall, with probably 110 guaranteed in the first three years. I'm probably not exactly right, but um, the numbers can't be much different than that from Watt's perspective. There's no way he would take significantly less than that. He's not going to take less than what Joey Bosa got. Nobody would. So if we're talking what he's going to do and how he's going to do it, the market will speak. He will not. His representation will not. Right. He doesn't have any reason to speak, but at some point, He's going to have to be made available to the media. <laughs> I promise you that's going to be the, the media session most attended by yeah. everybody, locally mm-hmm. and nationally, and it's all going to be about his contract. Uh, someone asked me about any training camp, and they say, you know, what, what's the key to the training camp? Look, you want to get your work in and so forth, the basics. I said, but to me, one of the keys is, especially when you're a good team, do I come out of training camp with pretty close to the same team I entered training camp with, personnel-wise? The Steelers are not going to be able to do that. I mean, there are a couple of guys that are out. What has that meant now to the structure of what the Steelers team looks like? I think that that's, that's a great question to ask leading into week four. Not that it's not pertinent today, but the answer to that I think is going to be fairly obvious in these first three games. You're not, you don't know what you have without right. – Stephon to it. Your offensive line was up in the air anyway. Um, now you're on the backups of the up in the air offensive line. We're not sure what this is going to look like. You you probably didn't want two rookies starting your offensive line in week one. It's ironic because you remember right. back in the day when when the the hype was all from the draft, all the offensive line. David DeCastro was supposed to start in week one. They they had high hopes on Mike Adams being able to start in week right. one, and neither of them did. <laughs> so right. now you've got a guy, you know, your your uh, your new Adams and and DeCastro are, are Kendrick Green and uh, Dan Moore, and both of them are going to start taking the third and fourth round. I you have to look back a ways, um, and I've tried. ESPN Stats and Info Solutions does not have a return. For a team that has started a left tackle, that started a, a player at left tackle after he was drafted that year, later than the third round. Right. So, in other words, this has not happened in modern football. Mm-hmm. What they're going to do, and he's just one of two rookies that they're going to put in there. You have no idea what you're getting with their offensive line against Buffalo. Um, on the positive side, Buffalo doesn't know either. So, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. For. To the degree the Steelers even know, it I might be a tactical advantage for them for a game, maybe a couple quarters, but um, that is going to get more detrimental to them as the season goes on. At the very least, until Chukasakorafor comes back, in, in uh, theoretically in Week Four, that's when he's eligible to, to, to be back. Um, he comes back in. You have a decision to make whether you're going to put him into the starting lineup right away or you're going to stick with Dan Moore. Moore is going to be the one who decides that over the next couple of weeks. So you don't know what they're going to have. You just know that this team is going to fundamentally change um, in week one when you get T.J. Watt back out there. Then again in week four, uh, theoretically, if you get if, if both Stephon it and Chooksakora four are, are eligible and able to come back, the team's going to fundamentally change then again. Mike Tomlin won't even reveal who's playing slot cornerback for him right, right now. Right. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that they have a good idea. They're just not real sold on that idea yet either. So maybe that changes up. I just think it, it's it's going to be interesting. This is really going to be a week-to-week team. And I, as I've said in the segment before, I think this is a team 
that will at some point win four consecutive games, and they will twice lose three consecutive games. Yeah. They're going to be completely up and down uh, at the mercy of their roster. And this is really kind of what you get into um, with a, a you know really kind of a new assembly that, that yeah. you have of, of several different players. And then on top of that, your best defensive player, maybe your team MVP, missed all of training camp. Didn't, didn't even go to the walkthrough on Monday. That's how steadfast uh, but, he is but, in but, not practicing. So he, he did individual workouts, Neil. Come on. Yeah, yeah, he ran on the sideline. I, I know it's you know he's got his cardio in. I, I don't, uh, I don't fault him for that. I'm sure he can run a mile a lot faster than I can. Uh, it doesn't mean that he can go up against an uh, NFL left tackle on Sunday in the heat at, at Buffalo and be able to do much. Probably wearing black jerseys. I can tell you, um, I can, to the upper 80s in, in humid in Orchard Park on on Sunday. So, I, can, I can tell you what he can't do. I mean, I can tell you flat out what he can't do. He can't cover Saquon Barkley on a wheel route. All right, I already announced that play. <laughs> I already announced that play. Sorry. All right. Uh, the, I even remember that one. All right. So. I, as you know, I'm the type that, like, you know, I take a very cautious approach. Um, I take it week by week. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I like to let the season breathe. Buffalo is an interesting situation. In some ways, is the opening game, you know, I'll just ask the question to ask it. Is in some ways it actually a referendum on, on the Bills after what they did last year? Is a referendum some, somewhat on them just in a week one? I think if, if you're Sean McDermott, who's done, I, I think, a masterful job in building yes, yes. a consistent team, mm-hmm. which has not existed in Buffalo since Jim Kelly was there. Yeah, He's put together sure. a consistently <laughs> quality team. Um, and Buffalo was, was as manic as any team in the NFL. You know, there, there were weeks where Ryan Fitzpatrick would trot out there and they'd beat the Patriots by 30 and then get crushed by the Jets right. the next week with probably a different quarterback. They're a good team. They're balanced. They have all, all the pieces I think you need mm-hmm. uh, to compete for a Super Bowl. And they're going to be right there. It, it, I, I saw the Steelers' schedule <clears throat> at Buffalo in week one. It's like, okay, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, they're starting on the road with a loss. I mean, it, that's, they're, they're not going to beat Buffalo. Buffalo in Buffalo in week one. Um, they are at the tip of the spear, in my opinion, as far as the AFC goes. The Steelers are not at that point. They're, they're working right. to get to that point. Uh, Buffalo is, is going to be a, a, a very staunch challenger for them to start off against, especially when they're going to need to figure out a lot more of themselves, uh, I think, than, than Buffalo certainly does. You're looking at, in my opinion, kind of a, a 2015 Steelers team coming out of the gate without having any clue really who they were, especially defensively, that's going to be more, in my opinion, what they're going to look like. Our thanks to Merrill Reese today, Rich Scarcella, Neil Kulong. Back tomorrow with more today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK.